Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. party we did it you go glenn coco a whole year for us glenn coco yeah how's that feel weird i mean (laughs) time is meaningless but weird i remember when we first started the podcast and you were like statistically most podcasts end before they hit eight episodes and i was like we'll see if we can do eight we we gotta beat the spread we did a lot more than eight (laughs) Right? And it was because we had so many people, like, right out the gate, just encouraging us to keep talking about shit. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, everyone who's listened to us for the last year, or anybody who's joined us within that last year. Yeah, we really appreciate all of you being here, and as promised, we wanted to do something special for our one-year anniversary, so it's time for another heavy hitter. The most requested movie by far it's like not even close if we were to make a like a bar graph of this the request for mean girls would flow through the roof it eclipses everything else like it's it's essentially like a pie chart where it's like one percent this three percent this <laughs> like 94 percent mean girls the mean girls graph would it would be like 96 percent mean girls four percent mean girls but in pink like <laughs> that's what we would be dealing with yeah, so, so we're, we're we're doing it. We're this is. Gonna I hope be... you all are excited that we're covering Mean Girls. I'm gonna be honest. I'm a, I'm a little nervous about this one. There's a lot of pressure for this one. There is a lot of pressure for it, and this is gonna be an interesting episode because we're obviously gonna talk about the movie, but because this is a heavy hitter, there are so many fan theories and interpretations that exist, and we're gonna talk about them. It's a year. You know what? We're we're diving deep. We're going in. Are we gonna talk about Mean Girls too? No. Oh, okay. Because that's a crime against humanity, and we're not going to talk about it. Is that bad? Okay, it's not that bad. It's just so pedestrian and mediocre that I don't even want to waste time on it. Okay, fine. <laughs> so before we dive in, Harmony, what is your experience with Mean Girls before today's episode? I mean, obviously, I've seen Mean Girls. This is like the quintessential teen film of our high school years mm-hmm. like so you saw this like around the time it came out oh i saw it in high school and i could not tell you for the life of me where or when okay but mean girls has just felt like it's always been there doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> but it clearly hasn't um i used to do like a friday night movie night at my house and maybe i saw it then i'm not sure okay uh where we would have because I, I lived like 
my 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 backyard touched school property. Right. So I lived like right next to the high school. So we would just walk over to my house and we would all like go into my basement and watch movies on my PS2, you know, whatever I would get. And maybe it was then because like I didn't have a lot of girlfriends through like up until a certain point in high school. And mm. I don't know if I would have gone out of my way to get mean girls on my own. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's when I, I honestly could not tell you where I saw this first. But I don't know. I thought it was fine at the time. Okay. I didn't. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I thought it was quotable. I did not have any idea the legacy this movie would have. I don't think anyone did when it came out. Yeah. I saw this in theaters with my mom, and she took me and a friend that I have been friends with since preschool, and her sister and my sister. And we went and saw it in the theater, and we made like a whole event of it because my mom had been seeing all of the previews and was like, this looks like a movie I actually want to see with my kids. So we went. We had a good time. I got to explain to my mom what Fugly was. Oh, uh, that was great because she couldn't put two and two together. And then, of course, the second I was like, it means fucking ugly. She's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I'm an idiot for missing that. This movie really flirts with the F word a lot. Yeah, it really does. At one point, they cut it from some licensed music. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it gets real close mm-hmm. more they, than once. They got to keep that PG thirteen. Like they really do, kind of push a PG thirteen with some of the content. PG thirteen. I think you get one, but, but I don't they, even think they, they just they used didn't even want to do that. Yeah. No, I think maybe because they say slut so many times. Maybe they I don't say know. shit in this movie. I think they say shit. Maybe once. I don't know. Who knows. Either we, way. We, we just watched The Goonies for a Patreon episode, and they say shit all the time in that one, so maybe we watched them back to back. Maybe that's part of why I'm thinking they say shit all the time. Yeah. We we did discover that it's what the Baby Ruth tri- uh, double feature. The Baby Ruth double feature, because there's a <laughs> random background throwaway juggle Baby Ruth. Yeah. <laughs> when Damien's face is covered in meat. Which, like, I don't so really he, remember that even. Yeah, it's very, it's like a very subtle thing where, like, they're, they're like, oh, the art freak's table, and Damien's face is covered in meat, and he's imitating sloth. So we were like, oh, okay. Cool. This is a weird double feature. So weird. These movies are both omnipresent, as as it would appear. Yeah. Um, And, and the, the weird thing is, this movie has been dissected to every degree, nauseum, every yeah. single corner of this movie has had light showed on it, shown on it, but I don't remember that part. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's weird. There's a lot of throwaway moments in this, or at least seemingly throwaway moments that are actually really, really impactful, and we'll obviously dive into that as well. Sure. But let's take a journey back to the magical year. Of 2004. What a time to be alive. This is uh, me graduating eighth grade and going into high school. So that made Uh Mean Girls even a bigger deal Uh because it was like, oh, this is what the high school is going to be like. Oh, God. Uh And it was a little bit right because uh, for those that don't know, Mean Girls is set in like Evanston, Illinois. Evanston's where Northwestern University is. This is also the area that is very much uh, the John Hughes Chicago suburbs area. So I'm very familiar with with where we are. And you're like, oh, my God, it has such a beautiful campus. Yeah, pretty much. And then it was like, oh, wait, that's right. I'm poor. I can't afford to go to a school like this. Um, my school, we did have fights, but they were not like 
rich petty gossip fights they were like i'm gonna fucking kill you fights yeah Um, different different energy but that was another reason for sure that like got me really interested in this the second they were like northwestern oh my gosh i know where this is it's just like me it's not like me at all (laughs) but you find representation where you can yeah either way let's uh let's go back to 2004 what was going on uh i was very delighted that there was the indie rock revival where I finally found my oh, genre. That's right. That's what was going on in that in that period. Yeah, let's um, listen to the vines and the hives. Uh, I was a libertines person personally. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, really pretentious. Um, I also liked Jet and the Darkness, but those weren't quite garage rock. They were a little I something else. I liked both of those as well. My mom bought me the Darkness because she was like, "I think you'll like this." She was correct. God, that first album is so fucking good. It's so good. So yeah. Anyway, that's what I was doing in 2004. Let's see what we were doing dealing with with movies. Um, I gotta say, so I was going over this list of releases that came out, and this is almost a void of teen films. Interesting. Where, um, like, we just covered Go with Alex Steed, so we talked about 1999 and how it was arguably the most stacked year for teen releases It was out of seen. control. 1999 yes. is out of control. Ever. It is so big. And here we are, like, not too far. We're five years later, but a lot of things have changed in those five years, and um, I have some theories as to why, so we'll get into those in a hot sec. But here's some of the releases that we had in the way of teen girl movies. Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. Love that movie. That's another Lindsay Lohan movie. Mm -hmm. Debs. Oh, my God. I can't wait. We're doing Debs for Pride next year. Spoiler alert. Okay, cool. Um, New York Minute, which we briefly touched on in our It Takes Two Mm -hmm, episode. mm -hmm. The Princess Diaries 2. Cruel Intentions 2? No. A Cinderella Story. Yes. Hillary, yes. 13 Going on 30. Perfect. Already covered that one. Saved. Oh, hell yeah. We'll do that eventually. Which Saved feels a lot more like a 90s, like edgy film than it does a 2000s film. Yeah, it has that like indie charm to it that I think was super popular in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of your all-time favorites. Oh. She's Too Young. Oh, my favorite Lifetime movie ever made, directed by Tom LaGoughlin. (laughs) Yeah, so um, those were some of the, I guess, more notable teen releases of the year. Um, you had some teen boy releases, but they were kind of sparse and a little more adult. So like Girl Next Door, Euro Trip, and probably the biggest teen movie of the year, Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. So that's that's the biggest one outside of like Mean Girls itself. Yeah. So it, it really was not a stacked year for releases. And I think there's a couple a couple theories I have for why that is. I do think... Something interesting to point out, though, is that Napoleon Dynamite and Mean Girls coming out in the same year, and those two movies feel very omnipresent. Napoleon Dynamite, not as much anymore. Oh, it's I think it's so divisive. Yeah. Like, I hate it. I think a lot of people have really soured on it, but Mean Girls, like, they did that promotional toaster strudel this year. Lies. No. Last year. Yeah, because I was like, we Again, ate that at the old apartment. <laughs> time is meaningless. Yeah. But... I have a few theories for why I think teen movies are so different because at the, towards the start of the millennium in 2001, you had not another teen movie being released. Mm-hmm. And this sort of started the, um, the era of mean-spirited parody. 
Yeah. So that yeah. by like 1999, the idea of the teen genre, particularly teen girl films, had been established so well that there was a formula that could be absolutely torn apart. Yeah. And this is also like blossoming internet culture. It's also post 9-11. Yeah, that was going to be my suggestion is that like we're post 9-11, but more importantly, 2004, 2005 is when we started getting into peak girl hate Mm -hmm. world, which is also why I think Mean Girls was so popular Mm -hmm. was because it was like this poppy look at how to be absolutely vicious to each other Mm -hmm. because the aughts, as we've discussed many, many times on the show, is an unforgivably cruel decade in particular to marginalized people and especially women Mm -hmm. being mean to women was like its own form of currency and that's not even a metaphor people literally made money based on being mean to women like prez hilton's entire career exists because he was a dickhead to women yeah um uh, honestly, I think just also just the nine eleven period. We like it's really, really uh, eye opening to look back at that era and just see how much we didn't realize we were affected by everything that was going on at, in the world at the time. Oh yeah. Um, if if you want a really, really good deep dive on that, uh, Ots Tyrion is is a fantastic podcast for unpacking mm-hmm. that particular period of everyone's lives. Yeah, I was just gonna bring up uh, one of the co-hosts of that show, Sam Weinman, and I were actually talking on Twitter the other day about explaining the machismo that existed Mm -hmm. after 9-11 into the early 2000s because of things like the Toby Keith, you know. We'll put a boot in your ass and it's the American way. Yeah, that. (laughs) That sort of energy that made everybody suddenly get really macho and like gender roles got really strict out of nowhere. We we got very united in a lot of very bad things. Yeah. And I, if you look at like the 2002, three and four years for teen releases, there aren't a lot of major ones like there were by the end of the 90s. And I'd say the only one that really weathered that storm was Disney. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's because they are, are very sanitized, very escapist, and kind of a, we're living in a little bubble that didn't really reflect the real world at all. Mm-hmm. And because of a lot of this anger, a lot of this frustration, and maybe one of the only good examples of teen films that you had, um, which were clearly targeted towards a younger demographic, Mean Girls was extremely bold in Oh comparison. my gosh, yeah. Like, it really is a groundbreaking film, not just in the topics that it was willing to have on such a high level as a studio picture, but also in the time frame that it came out. I think we forget, because Mean Girls feels omnipresent, that it was groundbreaking for when it came out. Mm -hmm. Also, I think this is one of the first times you're seeing teen girls allowed to be awful people. Oh, yeah. Uh, This is something that I've really become aware of over the last year of doing this show, especially, is that, you know, sugar spice, everything nice. That was the idea of what a girl was supposed to be, uh, especially if she's growing into a nice young lady. And you had maybe, like, characters that existed like this, but they were bullies and you had, like, a sympathetic, likable main character. No, everyone in this movie is bad except for Aaron, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is an awful person to different degrees in this film. And I think that that's very sincere for high school during this period, especially. And 
I, uh, I, I think that's that that's really the most in, the most impactful thing of what Mean Girls does. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, Heather's paved the way for Mean Girls. Like, mm-hmm. we can't dismiss that legacy. But Heather's was not the smash hit that Mean Girls is. No. Heather's is a cult film. Yeah, Heather. Heather's. See, this is actually a conversation we had before we sat down to record because I looked it up because I really just went to Wikipedia because I was like, how much did Mean Girls make at the box office? It made a lot of money. It had like. I don't know, twenty million dollar budget and made like a hundred and twenty, which is good. Yeah, it's great. That's really good. But it's not like a runaway hit. Yeah. It's not like this massive thing. Like it's made so much more and been so much more impactful outside of the box office. Yes, a hundred percent. And when I was there, um, I just happened to notice like Mean Girls has developed a cult following, and I was like, is it a cult following if you were successful from the jump though? And I'm like, well, I mean, people are really, really into this movie, so maybe. But when I think cult following, I think of something like Heather's mm-hmm. where the movie lives and dies by cult following because it doesn't have anything else to fall back on. There's no there's no numbers that say this is good. Right. The way I look at it is the Mean Girls cult following is like a literal cult. Yeah. Like people are just way, way into this movie. And mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I understand it. Like mm-hmm. I, I do. I get it. But I think maybe that's kind of what the cult following means. In a very literal sense, yeah. Yeah, I think it's like a very literal sense. But yeah. let's uh let's start diving into this one. And our friend Dango has a interesting synopsis, to say the least. <laughs> okay. Teenage Katie Heron, Lindsay Lohan, was educated in Africa by her scientist parents. When her family moves to the suburbs of Illinois. Katie finally gets to experience public school and gets a quick primer on the cruel laws of popularity that divide her fellow students into tightly knit cliques. She unwittingly finds herself in the good graces of an elite group of cool students dubbed the Plastics, but Katie soon realizes how her shallow group of new friends earned this nickname. Okay. So just leaving out like, the actual heart of this movie, the, I the, guess. The, the, <laughs> it doesn't mention the revenge plot. Yeah, the, not at the, all. <laughs> you know, psychologically speaking, vengeance doesn't bring the catharsis that we secretly hope it does or whatever that quote from Birds of Prey is that mm-hmm. I can't remember, but I was listening to You Are Good earlier and they were talking about it. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, I don't know. They completely neglected to bring up that whole part that is essentially Katie's entire arc and what all of the action is centered around. Yeah, this is definitely like the teaser thing to get you into the theater and then like plot twist. It's a revenge story. They don't want to spoil it. I guess. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, and I was thinking about the marketing too and that is very much what the marketing was for this movie is that like... What was the marketing? I've never seen the trailer, I don't think. Yeah, A lot of the quotable moments but really it was like, look how evil these girls are and she's gonna get back at them. Burr, burr, burr. Is it basically going, man, these girls, they sure are mean. <laughs> I mean, kind of. <laughs> Is that what it does? Boy, boy, these men sure are busting ghosts. <laughs> uh, I don't know why that got me so good. What if we just made trailers based around the title of the movie and then don't do anything else? <laughs> that would make for some really... These shacks sure are caddied. <laughs> This Thelma sure is Louisan. Get away from me. How, how much further can I devolve this? <laughs> I'm going to start crying because I'm laughing so hard. These living dead, they're in the night. Stop. 
This, what is this? Some kind of suicide squad? Get away from me. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to keep my show on track. It's our anniversary, and you're over here just making me lose my mind. With the dumbest fucking thing. Oh, no. It was coming up again. Word vomit. No. Wait a minute. What is this? Actual oh. vomit. Alrighty, now that I've stopped crying from laughter, let's actually talk about the movie. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm glad I'm able to bring you joy in this sad life. Yeah, you do bring me a lot of joy, and I appreciate you for that. Thank you. So, normally, obviously, we talk about our main character, but this movie is so much about the change in character that I think it becomes difficult to do that. So, I think we should break the movie apart in sections. How does it sound to you? Sure, that's fine. All right, cool. So let's talk about Katie and specifically North Shore High before she gets involved in the plastics. How do you feel about Katie going to school for the first time? Early Katie, like first gets to school Katie. Like I, I've obviously never been to Africa. I've never been the new kid in school. I've never been homeschooled. But I can relate to this character. Okay. Because you you know how you have Regina George's little sister who's watching like way too adult content on TV because she's just like, I don't know, she's trying to be more grown up than she is despite her being like, I don't know, seven. Yeah, Kylie's being left to her own devices and Amy Poehler, cool mom, is focusing all of her energy on Regina and is not parenting this child. Yeah, well, it's because she can't ape cool off of this child. Correct. As she's watching Girls Gone Wild videos and emulating them. Oh, my gosh. Also, speaking of Girls Gone Wild, there's a great episode of the What a Creep pod that just released about the guy behind Girls Gone Wild. What a scumbag. Yeah. I mean, like, it's a given, but, like, if you want a deep dive on that, What a Creep pod. Highly recommend it. That episode's wild. Anyway. So, um, in the way that you have her trying to be, like, more grown up than she is, I feel like that that was, at least around this time, that was kind of what everyone wanted to do. And I'm... I'm sure kids have always, like, tried to be more adults than they are because, I mean, when you're 10 years old, 10 is the oldest age you've been. So you think you've got this shit figured out. And you don't, but whatever. And I don't know. I was perfectly content being, like, 10 years old and just being 10 years old. But here I am in fifth grade, sixth grade, and kids are being like, what do you mean you don't play Grand Theft Auto and run over hookers and beat police with a baseball bat? What the fuck? Like, you're not cool. I'm like, dude. You're in, like, sixth grade. <laughs> why Why are you acting like you're not in sixth grade? <laughs> so, in the sense that you have, like, Jason showing up, and I swear he's named Jason just because he looks like Jason Biggs. He, he kind of does. <laughs> oh, little brother from Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. Um, in the way that you have him coming up and being like, would you like your muffin buttered? I had so much of that stuff because, like, other kids that were in, like, my grade would come up and say, like, hey, um, are you straight or are you curved? I'm assuming that they're trying to make a, a very innocent joke, but really is about your penis. No, it was about that. Just trying to say, like, that, you know, trick you into saying you're curved. Oh, because then you're Cause not then straight. you're not straight. <laughs> the same okay. way of like, hey, um, look at your nails. And depending on which way you look at your nails, like how your hand is facing, it means you're gay. Okay. Yeah, like, th that was the kind of shit that just floated around because I didn't understand this basic code of 
homophobia that apparently everyone else figured out at a young age, but I was totally oblivious to. So, yeah, I I get early Katie. I understand this person. I relate Mm -hmm. to this person in a very broad sense, obviously. Yeah, I also very much understand this character. Um, I think everybody does at some point, even if you're not the new kid, everyone knows what it feels like to not fit in. Mm-hmm. So she becomes kind of immediately empathetic and we, we feel for her. And also Lindsay Lohan in this time period is so effortlessly charming. Yeah. There's just something so sweet about her and there's something about her face that just makes you want to root for her because she has that like Hollywood glam, obviously, mm-hmm. but there's something so authentic to her that she feels like a girl that you knew in high school. I think a lot of it is that there's just this accessibility to her look. Yeah, she's got freckles. Like, that sounds so silly, but like, she has freckles, and that suddenly makes you feel like a real person and not like Photoshopped. Yeah, and something about her not being blonde. You know? Yeah. Like, even someone like Hilary Duff, who was also the girl next door, it's like, okay, but you're not real. <laughs> Hilary Duff isn't a real person. Lindsay Lohan's a real person, though. Yeah. It's it's very weird, like, how culturally those are these, like, implicit things that stick in our heads, right? Yeah. Like, that. it's like a, it's a very weird thing, and there's a lot of unlearning that needs to be done. Well, but I you're totally it, right. I think a lot of it's also that blonde is just not... The, the blonde as we know it, especially during this period where it's blonde, blonde, mm-hmm. isn't real. So yeah, there's this thing where you're true. very aware of that being a fabricated thing. That's very, very true. Yeah, we are in the aughts. This is very much where we're getting into that bottle blonde look where everybody was channeling like Jenna Jameson and Anna Nicole Smith, whether they... Pamela Anderson. Pamela Anderson. All of, the, all of the Playboy-esque blondes that yes. aren't Playboy. Yes, that was the that was that specific shade of blonde. And you're right, it does not look like a natural blonde. Mm-hmm. So your your brain, like those sensors kind of go off and then there's that like internalized misogyny of like, they're fake, which is used in this movie like once Regina is introduced because Rachel McAdams is wearing that ridiculous wig. And it is vibrant blonde. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is no criticism of, of blondes, obviously. You just dyed my hair bright blue. Yeah, I did. Like the most blue it's ever been. You're welcome. So this is not a criticism of that. But like when you're, I don't know, 13 years old, you are aware of what it means to be blonde. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, you have notions of it. Like who who's a blonde? I don't know. Farrah Fawcett. Barbie. These glamorous... Um, somewhat provocative women Mm -hmm. and like if if that isn't instilled in you just by like absorbing media of like well what does a blonde look like in a movie or a show versus you know a brunette Mm -hmm. then especially for me growing up as a teen boy mm, there 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 was this there was this very different way about how other boys that i grew up with treated blondes versus not blondes in the name of all that is holy, would you look at Karen Smith's gym clothes? Of course, all the plastics are in the same gym class. Where are the plastics? They're teen royalty. If North Shore was Us Weekly, they would always be on the cover. That one there, that's Karen Smith. She is one of the dumbest girls you will ever meet. Damien sat next to her in English last year. She asked me how to spell orange. <laughs> that little one? That's Gretchen Wieners. She's totally rich because her dad invented toaster strudel. Christian Wieners knows everybody's business. She knows everything about everyone. That's why her hair is so big. It's full of secrets. 
secrets. Hey, hey, um, what's happening? And evil takes a human form in Regina George. I'll be fooled, because she may seem like your typical selfish, backstabbing, slut-faced hoe bag, but in reality, she is so much more than that. I think back to this period of time, and a lot of the guys I was hanging out with, like, we watch wrestling together all the time. And like, oh my God, Stacey Keebler is so hot. Trish Stratus is so hot. Victoria looks like a man, even though she doesn't. Mm-hmm. But that's what they thought because she's not blonde and you're not supposed to find her sexy. Well, then you think about the same way. I mean, horror movie rules. If you're blonde, you're either a victim or you're the whore. Yeah. And if you're the final girl, you're brunette. Like, yeah. that's that's just how we've been socializing people to view women forever. And it goes across all film genres and that's you know that's not great (laughs) Mm -hmm. and in this movie i think kind of points out exactly like how those implicit biases are are enacted i mean there's a reason that gretchen wieners is second banana to regina george Mm -hmm. and the blondness is is part of that for sure and speaking of implicit biases um the beginning of this movie is just littered with casual racism. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I mean, on top of that, they also have a whole lot of use of the R word because it's uh, yeah. 2004. Yeah, it's it's like kind of jarring. And it's not something that I don't remember because even even the acts of racism in this movie have become like memed and are part of like the legacy of Mean Girls because we have the introduction of like, hey, you have a new student from Africa and Tina Fey looks and because of course it's Tina Fey looks directly at the only like black girl in the classroom and is like, hey, welcome. And she's like, I'm from Michigan. Uh And it's like, okay. So like the joke is at the expense of Tina Fey being like a dumb white lady, but also that's still racism. Mm -hmm. And then when Katie's trying to make friends in the cafeteria, she walks up to the table that is later named the unfriendly black hotties table by Janice. And Katie walks up to all of them and says, Jumbo. There's a couple things wrong. There's a lot of things wrong with this, but like. (laughs) Only a couple. um, (laughs) Things I want to point out. A couple of couples. So one, she's making this assumption that this entire table of black people understands Swahili. Um, Rude. But also Swahili is one language in Africa. Like Africa is a fucking continent. There are a lot of countries. There are a lot of cultures. There are a lot of languages. So what she's doing is the equivalent of walking up to just a random Asian person and saying ni hao. Or white people who go to any kind of like Mexican restaurant are like <laughs> chips and dip please gracias and they're so proud of themselves so your mom no my mom doesn't even understand that much Spanish she just talks down to the waiter very very slowly if people want to hear more about that you can listen to that on our 16 candles episode oh god that was the episode that I popped off and had a fucking aneurysm ha <laughs> uh... But no, you're totally right. That's exactly what she's doing. And it's like, I understand that you are a little socially behind because you've never really interacted with people before. Shame on her parents for not teaching her more things. But yeah, Anna Gasteyer and Neil Flynn, you did your daughter dirty. You could have helped her in this instance. You could have taught her better. They were too busy doing other things in Africa to teach their daughter basic things about how the world is larger than wherever they happened to be at the time. 
Like they sh- think think about like the wild thornberries and how much they <laughs> neglect their kid there because they're too busy having their jobs. You know what? That's a really good point, and also is just very uh, reminiscent of just like white people in other countries. And it's fine. Nigel Thornberry is the villain of that show because he's <laughs> Tim Curry and he's always the villain. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah this this version of 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 Katie and of North Shore. I, I think it's a really good way of establishing things, but it also does establish, in my opinion, the fact that Janice Ian is the true villain of this movie, and we'll get into that much later when we start going down, like, conspiracy theory rabbit hole. But Katie meets Janice, and Janice is obviously seeing this girl who doesn't have any friends, doesn't have anyone, and on that first day when Katie's trying to find somewhere to sit, like, they don't say, hey, take this seat. They just keep telling her seats to not take, that kid farts. And then she, yeah, then she ends up behind, like, you know, the kid who farts a lot, and that's not fun. Um, but then it's like, oh, hey, yeah, we can help you out. Takes her to skip class. Hey, we can help you out. Here's a map. Everything is described by, like, either racist things about the people or body shaming them. You mean the girls who eat their feelings? And the girls who don't eat anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's okay. Janice can't be racist. Oh, because she's, she's Lebanese? A, yes. Oh, my gosh. It's fine. She's fine. She's, she's allowed to be, right? Uh, right? That is some great A Tina Fey rules of racism. Right. My God. Um, yeah. So it, right away, it's kind of like, okay, that's a little weird. And then we're introduced to the plastics. And Katie's never seen these girls before. She has no knowledge of them. And Janice right off the bat is like, that one's dumb as fuck. That one's evil incarnate. That one's a gossip. And just like shits on all of them. And don't get me wrong. Regina's not the nicest girl in the world. She does some horrible shit. She does some real catty stuff. Regina owns her bitchiness, like owns that meanness. Well, that's the line from Aaron, right? And and he knows her better than anyone aside from maybe like the two other members of the Plastics where he says like, oh yeah, sure, Regina's awful, but she's just more upfront about it than other people. Yeah, like she's very in your face about it. And like, I weirdly respect that. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, here's the thing. You say, oh, is Janet, Janice Ian's the real villain of this movie. I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you. They're all villains. Well, yeah, everybody in this movie is I think she might be less aware that she's the villain, but no one ever thinks they're the villain. Everyone here is an awful person, and they're the villain in their own unique microcosms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're totally right. The real villain is the coach. Fucking for real. <laughs> like, just casually making jokes about him fucking underage Asian students and like, haha, it's okay. Now get away from the underage girls. Ha ha ha. Yeah, Coach Carr is, like, it has always sat really weird with me. Like, obviously, when I was younger, it didn't process, like, how bad that was. Because I also saw Mean Girls the year before, like, my biggest halt happened. Mm -hmm. So I was definitely not in that, like, analytical space at that point in my life. But the Asian representation in this movie has always sat really weird. So I guess we're two for two with Lindsay Lohan movies with really fucked up Asian representation. Yeah. This one's, this one's not this as one's intrinsic worse. to the plot at least. I yeah. Guess. It, but it's very intense yeah. and it's that both of the girls that are sleeping with 
the coach. They're both Vietnamese. They exclusively speak to each other in Vietnamese. One of them says the N-word in Vietnamese, and that's supposed to be, like, a super funny joke. That's not fucking funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it plays into, like, these just very weird stereotypes that I'm not super chill on. But he's not taking advantage of them because they want to be with him enough to fight each other. Or something. Yeah, it's it's weird because the the Asian characters that we see in this movie, they're either like the mathletes and therefore feeding into like the model minority, or they're like these oversexed like teenage girls who have these like older white this older white boyfriend, which is like a stereotype that's super gross. Like, oh god, it's so weird, and I don't I don't know what Tina Fey's obsession is because. Then we also see like similar issues in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt with Dong, and it's just like, oh mm-hmm. God, like, what are you doing? Yeah, this um, I don't know. I don't. I don't even. I can't even pretend to make theories about it. I think she just doesn't realize how bad she is and doesn't really consult people. Yeah, I think. I think that's a big part of it for sure. So stuff like that has always sat really weird with me, but. I think that the other messages that Mean Girls are trying to convey are so important that not to say, obviously never to say that like the casual racism in this movie gets a pass because it fucking doesn't. But it's an instance of being able to hold those two truths at the same time. Like this movie is super fucking problematic, Mm -hmm. but it is saying a lot of really important stuff. And it's important that we can recognize both of those things to be true. And that is really hard, especially... As somebody who's looking back at this movie, you know, almost 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's not really my call to make, but I'd say that 20 years out from something like 16 Candles, it's gotten better. And by that, I mean sneakier. Yeah. About about being racist or 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 it's done a lot more glamorous and interesting things so you don't notice it as easily. Because, I mean, I don't know when when I would have seen this for a while. I, I certainly haven't revisited in a long time. But I don't remember it being quite so blatant, you know? Well, I think that also goes to show that, like, when we're really young, and I would say especially from the generation that we're coming from, like, these were not conversations that were really being had, mm-hmm. especially in groups of, like, white people. Like, that wasn't really a thing. No, especially because I only lived around white people. Right. Whereas I grew up around a lot of black and Hispanic people, but there really was not a lot of Asian representation at my school. So that's definitely not a conversation I was having mm-hmm. until I got to college. Mm-hmm. And it's just really interesting, the stuff that you can look at now and see as, like, a giant neon sign of, this is wrong, that, you know, 10 years ago, like, probably wouldn't have even crossed your mind. hmm I mean, it might have been 10 years since I saw Mean Girls last time, really. Like, sit, sitting down, actually watching it. hmm There is an article by an Asian-American writer named Keisha C. called, I Can't Believe It Took Me This Long to Realize My Favorite Movie is Racist. Oh. And it's written from 2020. Oh. Yeah, so like this is not like a, a, a dated thing. It's this took me this long to get here. We've, we've all done a lot of reflecting in 2020. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so in this article, the writer talks about like some other examples of racism, like in the mall scene where Katie is equating being at the mall to being home in Africa by a watering hole. 
Um, and it's like, is this what the writers think people in Africa are like? Like, is this what you believe? I always it's, assumed it was supposed to be animals, like gazelles and shit. Right. Like, it's definitely supposed to be more like animals, but they spend the entire movie being like, Katie's from Africa. Katie's from Africa. Africa's a continent. Mm-hmm. It's a continent. That'd be like saying, where are you from? I'm from Europe. That could mean any fucking number of things. There are so many different countries and languages and cultures. Where are you from? Maybe they didn't want to get snopsed. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so I don't they know. they were vague. So if you're from Africa, why are you white? Oh my God, Karen, you can't just ask people why they're white. Either way, so it's like, you know, it's really difficult to trust the good intention or the good faith of people who have already shown themselves to have not really given a fuck. Um, so I, I totally agree with this writer. And then, of course, like, she goes on to talk about, like, seeing the Asian stereotypes and how it made her feel. And it's one of those things where, like, even somebody who is, like, a member of that marginalized identity missed it when they were a kid. Mm-hmm. And I think that just goes to show, like, the, just the stranglehold that white supremacy has on, like, our culture that even if you are being impacted by it, it's sometimes hard for you to see that it's in front of your face. And that's like, that's wild. Yeah. Um, I think there's also just how you process things change over time. Oh, totally. I was asked recently to contribute to a piece about Hedwig and the Angry Inch based on a Medium article I wrote, I don't know, two-ish years ago, maybe a little longer than that. And the person that was asking me to, like, you know, help contribute to their article was saying, like, well, 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 please expound upon the things you wrote about in, like, the article. And, like, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even know if I fully agree with everything I said in that article. Like, I don't disagree with any of it, but my feelings are different. Right. So, I don't know. Thing, things change over mm-hmm. time, I suppose. Yeah. And, and as we discuss on here all the time, teen movies are time capsules. And... Mean Girls mm-hmm. really does encapsulate 2004 and how people were really lax about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm very glad that we seem to be moving forward slowly, but at least we're doing something. Yes. So racism is only is a fairly small aspect of this movie. I mean, it's glaring, but that's not what this movie is yeah. about. Let's talk about some of the other stuff we got going on. Yeah. So let's talk about girl hate. <laughs> Fucking girl world. Let's talk about girl world. There's a very common belief that men show their aggression towards one another physically with like beating the shit out of each other. I'm going to beat you up the bleachers behind the gym. Like that sort of macho energy. Yeah, you do casual things like, hey, what's the capital of Thailand? Bangkok. Yeah, that nonsense. Yeah, where you just fucking nut your bros because it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like, th- that's that's been, like, a commonly accepted thing. And then girls are always seen as, like, catty and manipulative because, you know, they don't have the physical strength, so they got to make up for it with psychological warfare. Sure. I don't disagree with that. No, I think... Between the two of us, we can paint like a fairly decent picture of what the high school teen experience was like, right? We're we're two people who are in tune with our feelings and Mm -hmm. have a fairly decent memory of what things used to be like. Uh And this movie isn't really about my side of the the fence on that whole equation, but it's also not the the, the most complicated thing to unwrap. So (laughs) 
Yeah, the the girl hate that is shown in this movie, I think the reason it resonated with people so deeply is because it feels very real. It seems this way. Like, obviously, not every school is going to have somebody, like, have a burn book and share the pages to the school to, like, cause mayhem. Mm -hmm. That's probably not a thing. Did people start making burn books after this movie? Yeah, they did. I mean, people wrote horrible things about each other on, like, bathroom stalls. And that still exists. Yeah, so there's versions of burn books out there. Mm -hmm. People wrote mean things on on MySpace. Mm -hmm. So... Those petty away messages on AOL. Oh, yeah. Like, what passive-aggressive song lyrics I'm going to put to make sure that <laughs> you know that I'm mad at you? Yeah. Like, there there are different forms of burn books that have existed forever. There's a burn book in all of us. I mean, Isn't yeah. that the moral of this movie, right? Yeah, pretty much. We, we all love to talk shit until it's about somebody that we like or somebody talks shit about us. Because that's the other thing, too, is the burn book is a melting pot of all of the gossip from the school. Like, this isn't just Regina, Karen, and Gretchen just coming up with things and being shitty. They're collecting gossip. They talk about it with Gretchen. You know, her hair's so big because it's full of secrets. Mm -hmm. Gretchen finds out all this information. They all collect this gossip. They're just the ones who wrote it down. But they didn't do this on their own. And that's another big part of it is obviously Katie takes the blame for all of it because she's trying to make things right. Mm -hmm. But everyone is at fault with the burn book because it's it's their gossip. Yeah, they gossip about each other behind their backs. And it's like, oh, well, Dawn's got a fat ass. And it's like, who would say that? It's like, well, who wouldn't? And it's like friends talking shit to each other's faces. Right. Because the big part is when they are having the huge fight that is just the whole junior class attacking each other. The girls have gone wild. Yes, when the girls have gone wild. There's the moment where they're cutting to people. It's like, so you told somebody. No, I didn't. Well, you must have. So it's that that understanding of like, I only told you. So if it ended up in that book, you told somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're all fighting with each other is not just because like, they're not sitting there like, who did this? We should figure it out and attack them. It's that moment of, I only told you. Mm -hmm. And if it's in this book, then now I have proof that you said something. You betrayed me. You betrayed me. Yes. How Shakespearean. And and now that it's that intense, it's like now it's a girl fight because what else am I going to do with my emotions right now? Because mm-hmm. it's it's chaos. So that's when they start fighting. Mm-hmm. And I've always found that to be a really strong message that I don't think people ever realize i think it's really easy for people to be like the plastics are evil bitches they ruined this regina's an evil mastermind and it's like all she did was write down all the shit y'all are saying i think that this is a complicated story that people make very simple especially through memes yes oh my god yes so yeah i i think what makes mean girls so interesting to discuss is character motivation but that's not the story that people necessarily want. Uh, at least not everybody wants out of this movie. They want mm-hmm. they want quotables. They want satisfaction of bad things happen to bad people. Like they get hit by buses. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's not life. Life's not that simple. So you don't really want to talk about the root of this. You just want to point fingers. You, you want a witch hunt, basically. Mm-hmm. Burn Regina George. Right. And the other thing, too, that I find really interesting is we get these small glimpses into the lives of some of these characters. 
and you get an idea of why some of them are the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Like Regina's family, like she has a mom who wants to be 17 again. She wants to be young forever. She's living vicariously through the like yeah, she m- coolest doesn't have girl a, in school She doesn't have a mom. Yeah. And then, you know, when they're, they're getting dressed for Halloween and you see the dad and the dad's just like crying. This is the only time we see the dad. The only time we ever see him. And he looks just so distraught. But he also looks like I, the, there's nothing I can do at this point. Mm-hmm. It reminds She's me too powerful. It reminds me a lot of like the parents that you see on Maury when their kids are wiling out, and it's like, wh- where did I go wrong? What did I do? I don't know how to fix this, mm-hmm. and it's just it's so sad. And then you also have somebody like Gretchen, who you know her dad, the inventor of toaster strudel. You know, it's clearly a family where he's probably not around all the time. She kind of just gets money thrown at her because she's so desperate for approval. So there's something going on there. We don't really know much about Karen's home life, but like y- you know that these these girls that you think are like so perfect and they're so unnecessarily mean, they're going through their own shit too. But because it's high school, they're going about it in like a really destructive way. Yeah, and I think that these are teens who are reaching that age in their lives where they are willfully putting themselves like at an arm's distance from their parents, like all of them, every single one of them. So this is kind of them being left to their own devices. Like mm-hmm. they, they have no, no higher, higher person or, or wiser person to talk to. This is literally just like high school society breaking out into Lord of the Flies. Yeah, a little bit. For so sure. like the closest thing you have to like a parental figure who seems to actively be there um and don't get me wrong i think i think katie's parents want to be there but she's just not she's just they don't know there's a problem yeah she's not communicating with them at all yeah so everyone else is just like yeah fuck that but i think she actually does have loving parents um you you have like tina fey and tim meadows that's the closest Mm -hmm. thing you get to like adults who are actively in these children's lives and they are also messy because mm-hmm. humans are messy. Yeah. And I think that's a really important message, too, that I, I agree with you completely, I think, gets dismissed in favor of quotables and memeables. And don't get me wrong, this movie is endlessly quotable. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you had a great time watching this with me where it just kept coming up like word vomit. You were basically quoting the entire movie. Yeah. Front to back. Front to back, tonality and all. I like. I know the line delivery. Yeah, I don't know the line delivery but it's definitely like fucking pointing leonardo dicaprio at this point because i'm more familiar with like meme formats of this movie than Mm -hmm. i am the movie or people poorly quoting this movie this is this is the teen version of like something like anchorman where every single asshole has to be like 80 percent of the time it works 100 percent of the time or we're gonna Mm -hmm. sing afternoon delight or fucking like the snozberries taste like snozberries or every other super trooper quote yeah like this is like the teen girl version of that incessantness yeah no you're totally right and am i guilty of it of course like someone you were a teen girl well yes i was a teen girl like someone in my work chat today because we have like you know microsoft teams or whatever and we just send each other gifts all day i did something correctly and I was like, hey, I got this all taken care of. And what did they reply with? You go, Glenn Coco. Four mm-hmm. for you, Glenn Coco. Mm-hmm. Like, it, this movie doesn't die because it is so endlessly quotable. And so much of it can be used in, in day-to-day life. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've seen a Karen meme of, ah, 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 I'm sick. 
boo you whore? It, like constantly, like they get used all the time, and it makes sense because it's an instance where it, it's bringing up that familiar feeling of like, oh my god, I love this movie. It's so funny, but also it's that casual ribbing of somebody of like boo you whore like my best mm-hmm. friend and i say that to each other constantly mm-hmm. do i think that she's a whore not anymore do <laughs> does she think that i'm a whore not anymore uh-huh. are we saying that with the intention to cut each other down or be mean or try to like cause harm and like oh i'm gonna call you this name to make it hurt no we're not because you know there's there's that moment that tina fey has after they all get in trouble where they're like You've got to stop calling each other sluts and whores. It just makes it easier for guys to call you sluts and whores. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I have mixed feelings about it. Because on one hand, can those words be used in like really cruel and mean and pointed ways? Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Like if some random stranger like walked up to me and saw something I was wearing and they're like, nice outfit slut. Yeah, I'd be fucking furious. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you came up to me and they were like, mm, hey, slut, I'd be like, yeah, you like it? You I have ready? never done that. I know you haven't. But if you <laughs> did, I'm just saying, like, the intention is different. Like, there's a sense of reclamation when women take back words like slut, whore, bitch, like, any of these words that have mm-hmm. been historically used to harm us. And we see this in every community. Yeah. Like, you and I say, uh, like, faggot, and I say tranny all the time, and, yeah. like, that's just part of our, our, our lives and our normal mm-hmm. vernacular. But I do want to ask, because, like, this wasn't something that I was, you know, up to my neck in at, in 2004, or even really until probably the end of that decade, <laughs> even then that might be being generous. Where were we at a point at the time of this movie being released where we were reclaiming words like slut and horse? Because I don't remember it being a thing that was used commonly in like a good way yet so really the the big movement of reclaiming words like that didn't happen until about 2010 2011 okay because that's when things like slut walk were established so for those that don't know the slut walk is something that happens every year and it's kind of a call to end rape culture including victim blaming and slut shaming of sexual assault victims you know because there's always that like well what were you wearing or you Dress like that, you were asking yeah. for it kind of thing. So the slut walk is usually when people get together and they wear whatever they want, or in some instances, like, as little as legally possible, mm-hmm. and walk around with signs that are just like, I'm still not asking for it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really the big, like, national push to start reclaiming those words. But there were plenty of people who were doing that groundwork before slut walk kind of, like, skyrocketed into public consciousness. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I guess that makes sense. But, like, we, it wasn't common yet. No. So, so Tina Fey thought she was doing the right thing at the time. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, okay. So so, so two. Th- I want to go in two directions from the, this point in our conversation. Okay. Um, first of all, I don't remember who I can attribute this quote to. Um, I, wish I, I wish I could, but I can't. Where I remember somebody said once that SpongeBob is like the Simpsons for an entire, like several generations of children, where you can just say something and everyone knows precisely what that context means. And and kind of in the same way, Mean Girls is that. You can go ahead and provide something from this film and people know the context and even then can like know what retooled context is for this movie because it has been dissected and repurposed and rebuilt in so many different ways. 
the amount of people who were making Destry Spielberg memes that were like, and I don't think my father, the director of E.T., would be too pleased to hear about this. Like, it was everywhere. Or how that we are going on, like, year 10 of get in loser memes. Oh, get in loser, we're going whatever memes. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever die. It will like, ever, never, ever go away. Yeah, those are going to keep going together um on wednesdays we were pink like those have been repurposed like i've seen so many things with like the girls of the craft or goth girls and it's like on wednesdays we wear black like Mm -hmm. there's so many parts of this movie that are omnipresent forever Mm -hmm. like this is a library of congress first draft film and if it's not then they don't understand like the magnitude of this movie well and i even think about the fact that ariana grande you know, did an entire music video that was, you know, a love letter to her favorite teen movies. And this Mm -hmm. was part of it. This was like probably the most notable part of it. Yeah. So then, you know, this got brought to a new generation who likely had seen it, but if not, sought after it. Mm -hmm. So the part two of like the things that I kind of wanted to bring up is how we, we obviously know all of the quotes. We know all of the, the styling, the scenes, like, All of these things are really important and really iconic for this particular movie. But the thing that I think I found the funniest and the most striking about this movie that does not get brought up nearly as often because it's harder to, you know, bottle that up and repurpose it for, you know, quotes or memes or whatever is the physical acting of this movie and how it's incredible. The physical acting in this movie, you're absolutely right. Completely underrated. Um, Yeah. Like, for example, like, Regina George is a blank character in this really unique way that isn't vacant. She's there, but she's so unaffected by everything. Like the uh, the look on her face when she finds out like the nipples are cut out of her tank top and she just goes, hmm, and then like has this vacant stare. She just peers off into nothingness and walks off camera. Rachel McAdams' comedic timing in this movie is off the fucking charts. Yeah. Like every time she does like her kind tilted head smile it's like she's looking into my soul Mm -hmm. and everybody in this movie has phenomenal comedic timings particularly physically Mm -hmm. it's it's maybe it's that it wasn't hasn't been sort of watered down by pop culture over the last you know 15 years or whatever but i felt like that was the funniest aspects of the movie for me on the most recent watch that we had of this for me, it's a lot of the facial acting is yeah. so consistent. Like Lacey Chabert is doing so much eyebrow acting because Gretchen is permanently like kind of stressed out. Yep. So her eyebrows so are. That's why she oh bursts. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So her eyebrows are like always kind of tilted up. And then when they're not, you're like, oh, okay, Gretchen's calm. I see this. She kind of has the nervous energy of like a chihuahua. Yeah, she really does. She's very she's shaky and just a lot. And then you have like. Amanda Seyfried as Karen, like, that is, to me, the pinnacle of smartly written dumb characters who <sighs> we talk about constantly on the show. We, we love we love a smart dumb character. I love a smart dumb character. And Karen is so good. Mm-hmm. Like, Amanda Seyfried is, oh, I think, one of the most underrated performers, like, working today because she's so talented. But this is the movie that put her on the map. Mm-hmm. And good because she's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um... Honestly, as far as like physical acting goes, I'd say Lindsay Lohan is the most tame and understated one of everyone on the oh, cast. Oh yeah, she's the straight man. Yeah, and it's the weird. the big comedy physical acting that she has is when she's imitating them. Uh huh. And there's something like a little disingenuous about it because again, she's imitating. Mm-hmm. Um, the other like 
physical acting that I really like is I, I love Damien, and we haven't really talked about him a lot. None for Gretchen Wieners. None for Gretchen Wieners. Damien, like Daniel Franzi's as Damien is such a great queer character that I I know 100% is one of the most important characters for an entire generation of boys. Mm -hmm. Like, very much so. There's a a great interview with him on um, Michael Verratti's Dead for Filth that I highly recommend people listen to. It's... Mm -hmm. He's so magical. Um, but he has such a commitment to his physical acting. Like, everything from the talent show where he's singing this big number and then also throwing the shoe back at Jason because mm-hmm. Jason fucking sucks to, like, random shimmying or, like, everything is big and dramatic. But it never feels like he's playing a stereotype. Like, he, f- like it feels like a real character. Like, I know this kid. I went to high school with that kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love that about him and a moment that i love so much that you pointed out has never crossed my mind like that might be problematic is when he's in the girl's restroom and the girl that's wearing a vest is like hey get out of here and he goes oh my god danny devito i love your work and you go oh that's such a funny line and i'm like he shouldn't be there i know and then you (laughs) pointed that out and i was like ah fuck you're right yeah because like the way i i kind of broached it where you're like i don't know it's probably not a big deal i'm like okay but how is this like how many degrees of removal is this particular instance from, like, gay guys who are like, I can grab your boobs. It's okay. I'm gay. It's like, yeah. the issue isn't that he's there. The issue is that he feels entitled to be there and that yes. it's not a problem. Yeah. That's uh, – the second you pointed that out, I was like, oh, god damn it. Like, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. But let's also unpack that in an opposite direction. Aside from women, who is this movie most popular with? The gays. The gays. And there is probably something to be said about, like, ah, yes, Damien doesn't feel comfortable – like, even if this isn't necessarily text, but, like, how this just reads as a visual. Yeah, he doesn't fit in in the boys' room. Mm-mm. And how does that translate to this movie overall? I don't know. We have tons of, like, lovely gay men out there who go, yeah, I didn't watch these things, but I love listening to your podcast because these are the movies I was interested in. Mm-hmm. Like, so there, there's some layers to that that I don't think were planned. Mm-hmm. I think they just were like, let's have a scene in the girls' room. And also Damien can be there too because he's part of this crew. Mm-hmm. They probably did not think any deeper about it than that. Yeah, probably not. But you're totally right. Like, you know, there's that sense of like, oh, he feels entitled there. But does he feel entitled or does he feel safe? And like, those are the questions that we'll never have an answer to. And that's what's beautiful about art is that we can have all these different interpretations of what this could possibly mean. Mm-hmm. And, like, one other thing about Damien that I think is actually really, really appreciated, and uh, we've talked about this pretty extensively on other episodes, most, most notably, I think, our uh, Patreon episode for Max Keeble's Big Move, mm-hmm. is that there aren't, like, fat jokes at Damien's expense, despite him being, like, tall and a bigger dude. Yeah, there's really, surprisingly, there's not a lot of fat jokes in this movie. No, there's the throwaway about, like, eating your feelings and anorexia, but that's pretty much where that starts and stops. And then there's the the joke where Regina, because she's been gaining weight from eating the calteine bars, and she bumps into Emma Gerber, and Emma Gerber says, watch where you're going fat ass. And like, Oh, that prosthetic butt. It's so... It, it's she looks so like bad. she's wearing a diaper. It's so bad. Um, and, like, the joke, obviously, is that Emma Gerber is a fat girl who's calling Regina George a fat ass, which we're in 2004. This is peak calling everybody fat, even when they weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why so many people have weird relationships with food. <laughs> 
the singing makes it seem less fucked up. <laughs> it makes it it makes it easier to digest when it's like, why is everybody on yo-yo diets and believing MLMs? I don't know because we lived through the two thousands where we were told every day that we were fat pieces of garbage. <laughs> it makes it easier to digest. <laughs> I grew up where Jessica Simpson wearing high-rise jeans meant she was a fucking whale. God, I hate the 2000s. Like, I love it so much, but oh, it's the source of all of my problems. But okay, for real, like, there was that picture of her, and she's wearing, like, high-waisted mom jeans, and everyone was like, oh my god, Jessica Simpson put on so much weight, she looks terrible. I'm like, I think she looks really good, She's wearing, like, a size four or something like that. Like, there's there's an account on TikTok (laughs) that does... A series of celebrities that the media told us were fat that weren't actually fat mm-hmm. and she did one about that and she like showed all these pictures of jessica simpson and, like she's wearing a four or like a six like i don't remember what size it was but like n- no like not even close to being plus size people are just assholes um excuse me stores only sell sizes one three and five that scene may i recommend sears like oh my god like i want to flip that entire building when that like fuck you old orchard mall like how dare you (laughs) here's the thing okay so back in cleveland there was this clothing store that probably still exists and you i would always see like their mannequins or whatever their dress forms in the window showing off things i'm like oh there's some really cute dresses in here let me just see what's going on so i go in there and i'm like looking at the clothes and i'm just asked the woman casually like do you have anything in like larger sizes ever and she goes well i only buy dresses that can fit me so nothing above a size five Cool. And I was like, cool. So you buy clothes for only you. That seems like a bad business model. Yeah, for real. (laughs) You do not need to buy your clothes. (laughs) Dumb. Yes. So anyway, shit hits the fan when things get a little little chaotic. And then they have a, a big, warm, fuzzy... Cakes made of rainbows bonding scene in the gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even go here. Yes. That it, one is that meme. If, if any meme from Mean Girls, like, survives the end of time, nuclear wars, survivors will be cockroaches, share, and she doesn't even go here. I think that's the one I quote the most often from this movie. Because it's so funny. It It is. It's so funny. Yeah, and I I don't know what what kind of model this has, and I don't know what kind of reflection or influence this has, but this whole like bonding scene of just being like, you hurt my feelings because you don't know my life and you're an asshole. I don't know. There was an MTV show that used to exist once upon a time ago called like If You Really Knew Me, where they just basically force kids to sit in a gym and talk about their feelings and shit. And mm-hmm. oh, I thought it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like what, like which of those came first, this movie or like this program that did this. But I'm like, I like this as an idea. I feel like that's the kids will be really resistant to that. But goddamn it, if you're gonna force them to be there till four, maybe they'll break eventually. Yeah, but then you could also make the argument that you're forcing teenagers to trauma bond, and like that's also not great. You know, that's true. But I don't know. I I like the idea of communication and i don't know how this actually like works if you break down the psychology of it it's restorative justice circles like but you have to establish those you can't just like spring like the reason that that scene is like kind of ineffective is because you can't spring that shit on people like you have to establish that like safety and whatever like start your restore your restorative circles early like there there is a psychology behind it Mean Girls is like kind of there. It's we're, we're 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 jumping we're jumping a few steps here yeah, because yeah. the plot. Yeah, we we've all decided that we can trust each other because we've all been personally victimized by Regina George. 
Right, which also, like, no offense to Ms. Norbury, lies. All offense to Ms. Norbury. Moderate offense to Ms. Norbury. She would be in so much goddamn trouble if she called out an isolated one student of the entire class to be like, all right, yeah, you want to say this? How many of you in here have been personally victimized by this bitch? Like, you would be so fired. You can't do that. You can't do that shit. Yeah, well... Yeah. Convenient plot device. It's fine because she's blonde and she's the villain because we decided she is. So we get to be mean to her. Here's the thing. Okay. I, I think we talked about this in the Stick It episode where I don't think Regina George is the villain per se. I don't think this movie really has a bona fide villain. I'd say uh, societal structures are the real villain of this film. I'd say that she's antagonistic. She's not an antagonist. All right. So now we're we're diving into the Potter, the infamous Potter threat from 2017. Who's Potter? That's the dude's name. Oh. About how Janice Ian is the true villain of Mean Girls, a okay. threat. And I'm going to read it to you because it's Twitter, so it's fast. Sure. So we all know the quote unquote villains of the film are the plastics. Gretchen, Karen, and Emperor Palpatine herself, Regina George. Do it. But is Janice actually a good human being at all? Let's get started. We meet Janice as she introduces herself to our main character, Katie. Janice immediately tells her she's going to use something else as her name, and she's going to call her something else entirely. That's like me saying, hi, I'm James, and then they say, I'm going to call you Jomos. Slagathor. <laughs> she then introduces her friend Damien, who she immediately outs. This exact comment, although meant as inoffensive, is then used as his burn in the burn book. So guess what, Janice? You've made a problematic statement that is now being used as a slur. Well done. It's like Mr. Green and Clue. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's set in the 40s. Yeah. Will you help me and be my friend, asks our little baby girl Katie. Yes, says Janice, the first of many lies. She takes her to a field, forcing her to miss an important sex education lesson, which she may need later in life. And then in this field, Janice introduces three women that Katie has literally never seen before, and she slut shames them immediately. Janice then describes other students at the school, categorizing most of them by their ethnicity or body type, casually body shaming at minimum 12 girls in the school. She then recruits this entirely new student, someone who she knows has absolutely no social skills and is in a perpetual state of confusion and terror to take extreme revenge against a girl who hurt her in the past. I know that Regina is a bully, but Janice uses an innocent as her pawn to help rip apart a friendship group, destroy a romantic relationship, and make a body-conscious girl gain weight in the hopes that she will be utterly destroyed. The Caltean Bar scheme is so utterly evil it defies belief. At a school where there are obvious body issues abound, and with a person who is vocal about how much she dislikes her body, to plan to make that person gain weight and to be powerless to stop it despite trying is fucking evil. Janice then uses Katie to rip apart a female friendship group. Sure, the relationships the women share are toxic, but they need to come to that conclusion themselves, not by being manipulated into destroying one another emotionally. God, I fully intended this to be lighthearted and funny. I'm so sorry. Janice is then completely surprised that her Frankenstein's monster turns out to have picked up the social skills of the girls she has made her spend time with and then punishes her for her behavior, never once checking in on her own. Then when all the girls are apologizing to one another, and genuinely too, Janice takes her time to relish in destroying this other girl's life, gloating about all the pain she has caused, showing Regina it is all her fault, and the school congratulates her for it? Regina is so distraught that she runs outside where she is then hit by a bus. 
Does Janice take the blame for this? Does she apologize? No, she lets her pawn take the blame. Katie then works hard to take her punishment, apologizes to everyone, shows true depth and growth, takes the blame for things she didn't even do, wins the mathletes competition. The time has come for Janice to recognize her own part in these games, and what does she say? Are you still an asshole? This all stems from the collapse of a friendship between Regina and Janice. Did Janice deserve to get treated so poorly by Regina? No. Did Regina then deserve to have her entire life and spine broken as revenge? No. The thing is, Janice definitely thinks she's woke and not part of the system. She's the cool, kind, alternative girl the film wants us to support. She's funny and she's vocal about being a friend, but she's manipulative, calculating, cruel, and ignorant of her own behavior. I don't like the boy who beat the life out of me as I walked home in year nine. Do I want to ruin his love life, make his friends hate him, give him body issues, and let him get hit by a bus? No, because that's crazy behavior, Janice. So there you have it. Janice Ian is the true villain of Mean Girls. Regina may be a bitch, but at least she knows and is open about it. Janice is a manipulative bully who is in total denial about her behavior, and people like her should be avoided. The end. Oh, goodness. And like when you spell it out like that, you really kind of can't argue with it. No, but here's a fun question for you. How many traits does Janice have in common with a character that someone might really like? Say, um, a shrew that needs taming. Are we going into the 10 things I hate about you and not like most girls conversation again? Maybe. I don't know. How, 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 many thi- how, how similar is Janice to Kat, though? Here's the thing, though. Yeah, they have similar traits in terms of, like, they're alternative and they're, like, feminist and blah, blah, blah. And they're better than everyone else and they hate barbecued femme girls. Yeah, these are similar things. The difference being, though, is that Kat is not actively trying to harm other people. Janice absolutely is. Okay. She's more bitter. Fair. I'm just saying. She has a full plan, including, like, a a chalkboard and, like infographs i'm just saying it is the net like when me and my friends were shitty in high school it was like we would text one person and be like wouldn't it be funny if and then we would do it because we were bad people we didn't sit around and plan how to fuck up someone's life i'm just saying though i understand i'm just saying it's been it's been almost a year since you made it's actually it's been over a year now because we watched it before the podcast launched I'm mm-hmm. still not over the fact that everyone thinks Kat's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and Janice is unlikable for all of the exact same reasons. She is just uh, much more manipulative about it. Agreed. And I will say what that thread does leave out is when Janice and Katie have their like big confrontation after Katie throws the party. This like, hey, it won a prize scene. Yes. Yeah. The hey, it won a prize scene. Um Janice at one point is like, at least me and Regina know we're mean. You like to act like you're so innocent Mm because you went from Africa with the little birdies. And Janice saying that, like, at least I know I'm mean, very much feels like when people say things like, well, I'm just the worst. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's or those people who are just like, I don't care if you like me. I know I'm a bitch. And it's like. That okay. that doesn't absolve you from being an asshole. Yeah, you're you're not you're not cleansed of your sins. You still suck, but right. I, at least you're comfortable with it. But you should still have to take like, the, you should have to still bear the brunt of you being a bad person. Right. So while we're kind of on this topic, though, of like a little bit conspiracy theories and also like why is somebody a villain? My favorite kind of deep dive on Mean Girls since it's come out 
is the idea that the reason Regina is acting this way and why she is the way she is is because she's secretly a lesbian. So we've talked on the show before, like how Ducky in Pretty in Pink, if he's a straight guy, he's a scary incel. But if he's a closeted queer kid, all of his actions make way more sense and he's way more sympathetic. True. And I think it's really fun how we've had to wait a year to do Mean Girls because it seemed appropriate, but also we're able to reference all of the things we've done along the way. It's very helpful. It's like an Edgar Wright callback of just being like, (laughs) look at the journey we've been on. It really is, though. Why were you talking to Janice Ian? I don't know. I mean, she's so weird. She just, you know, came up to me and started talking to me about crack. (laughs) She's so pathetic. Let me tell you something about Janice Ian. We were best friends in middle school. I know, right? It's so embarrassing. I don't even, whatever. So then in eighth grade, I started going out with my first boyfriend, Kyle, who was totally gorgeous, but then he moved to Indiana. And Janice was like weirdly jealous of him. Like if I would blow her off to hang out with Kyle, she'd be like, why didn't you call me back? And I'd be like, why are you so obsessed with me? So then for my birthday party, which was an all girls pool party, I was like, Janice, I can't invite you because I think you're a lesbian. I mean, I couldn't have a lesbian at my party. There are gonna be girls there in their bathing suits. I mean, right, she was a lesbian. So then her mom called my mom and started yelling at her. It was so retarded. And then she dropped out of school because no one would talk to her. When she came back in the fall for high school, all of her hair was cut off and she was totally weird. And now I guess she's on crack. So there is a TikTok user named Elizabeth and I saw this live when it happened and I like freaked out. I was like, oh, I gotta remember this for the Mean Girls episode. All right. Um, but the idea is that Regina is a closeted lesbian and this is why she is a villain. So the first point is that we have to stress how queer phobic that this movie is. Queer panic is one of the driving plot forces of the entire movie. Like there's the clip of Regina being like, I couldn't have a lesbian at my party. You know, like she was a lesbian. There were girls in their swimsuits, like this freak out thing, which, um, as she points out, which the second... I read it. I was like, oh, no shit. Is Regina mistaking Janice being Lebanese for being a lesbian? It was really funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't get that. And you literally just spelled it out for me because like when we were watching it, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, oh. <laughs> so then as Elizabeth also points out, as much as Regina is fearful of Janice checking out girls, she herself is regularly doing the same thing as fashion criticism. Casual reminder, she literally has a scrapbook of photos and spiteful messages about girls in her bedroom. She also doesn't like any of the guys that she dates. While dating Aaron Samuels, she's more interested in vexing Katie than she is in the relationship. And then when she has her spring fling date with Shane Oman, she just rolls his eyes at him every time he like does something. Like she's so over it. These mm-hmm. guys are disposable. They're all just pawns in her plots. Sounds like some shit you used to do. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Kinda adds credence to this, huh? So then to quote Elizabeth, and you know when people have a tendency to project their insecurities outward and cause problems for everyone else? Then you have the moment where Regina snipes that Janice jumping into the arms of women is a dream come true for her. Until they reach a point where they finally come to accept themselves, the movie ends with women literally jumping on Regina after she joins the lacrosse team. So then Elizabeth sums it up uh, with a tweet that is from an account that no longer exists that says, When I was seven, I had a crush on a girl in my class and I didn't know how to deal with it. So I wrote her a letter that just said, get out of my school. And that is the like the core belief of Regina 
Like, and it tracks. Like, it really does. I think about, like, when I was in high school and I was struggling with my sexuality. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Yeah. I was super mean to to some of the girls I had crushes on. I was super mean to the girls that were out because I, like, could not believe that they were able to do that. Like, couldn't get past it. And I used boys because I didn't actually give a shit about them. It was because it's it, what I it thought was I fun needed. It was you. fun. Like, because I was, a, again, I've said it a hundred million times. I don't need people in comments to tell me. I already know. I was a bad person in high school. Aren't I know this. That's the point. That's the moral of the story, right? Yes. <laughs> mean girls, the moral is that we're all bad people because teenagers are fucking monsters. Yeah, and like that kind of is the thing. Like all of us are kind of monstrous at some point when we're in high school. And the important thing is to like not just understand what you're doing and like realize that with the combination of like hormones and stress and a slight bit of freedom and all of these things are making you do things that are not great is how to make amends for them mm-hmm. and how to fix things when you've just broken things and how the like the things that you do in high school they do have an impact on you forever and mm-hmm. we like to pretend that they don't but they do I mean, that's that's why we do this show, right? Like, that wasn't really the main goal when we first started it. It was kind of like, I don't know, just show me some movies and we'll see how they hold up or whatever. But as as the Sense of Prom has evolved over time, it's really just displaying from multiple perspectives of either us or any guests we have on how much teenage stuff really does define who you are in years following mm-hmm. and... Sometimes you have to break down and rebuild that stuff, and it's hard. Mm-hmm. Some it's like there are things that I will carry with me for the rest of my life that started when I was fourteen. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously we're not just talking about like the trauma that you go through because the trauma of high school absolutely carries on with you. But like high school is also when I started to develop my taste in film. It's mm-hmm. when I started to develop my sense of humor. A lot of these things that are really central to who I am as a person, the roots of them are when I'm 14, 15, 16 years old. Mm -hmm. And it's really important that I can recognize what kind of soil did I plant that in at the time? Mm -hmm. What What was the environment like? What was going on in my life when this part of me started to grow? And I think that that's something that a lot of us forget to do from time to time and I got to admit, since starting this show, I've been able to allow myself the space to be a lot kinder and more empathetic to the person that I used to be. Mm -hmm. Because there's obviously plenty of aspects of my life and decisions that I made when I was younger that I regret. We all have them. But I'm also weirdly grateful for the mistakes that I made during those years because they are so central to who I am now. Mm -hmm. And I would not be the person I am now if it wasn't for that very misunderstood and frazzled and broken and confused teenager. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm, I, I probably have that to a degree. I, I don't know. My shit's weird. I've always been pretty, pretty fiercely independent and I'm sort of at this point now where a lot of, um, here, here's how I kind of paint this. Um, 
you have something like, say, like a Marilyn Monroe or a Beatles where someone goes, that's the best of this thing ever. Marilyn Monroe, the most beautiful woman ever. The Beatles, the best band ever. And I don't know, it's just reinforced through time where people say some stuff and, you know, you don't question it. So I'm like, I'm 30 now. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that's, wow, I'm 30 now. And I see these things going around of people being like, post a picture of you when you were 22. Like, what was your favorite albums, three favorite albums when you were 16 or whatever? And I'm like, dude, I don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's this weird amorphous thing for who I was then versus who I am now. And I'm looking back on it. Um, since we had Alex on the show mm-hmm. been listening to a large amount of Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Being like, man, Guns N' Roses, they're still good. I, st- I still enjoy listening to them. I'm a defender of Chinese democracy. I was listening to it earlier today. Some of those songs suck, but God, there's some really good shit on there. But also, Guns N' Roses isn't my second favorite band of all time anymore behind the aforementioned darkness. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know, my favorite album for a long time was Permission to Land by the Darkness, but it's not anymore. Mm-hmm. And... I'm really reflecting on like who I was as a teen, which obviously you could put this into this trans perspective of like who I was then is not who I am now in more ways than one. (laughs) But I don't know. There's those people that I know who like they've had the same favorite movie since they were 12 years old. Mm -hmm. They've had the same favorite band, the same favorite song. And I'm like, I don't understand what that's like. And so I, I'm not sure how my teenage years reflect into who I am at this point in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's something I've reflected on a lot over the last year of covering a lot of teen media. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we've done now 52 episodes of this show, plus, I don't know, a bunch of stuff for the Patreon. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of teen media. A lot of it, for that's sure. A lot. Over, like, four-ish decades. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm kind of trying to, like, unpack who I was as a teenager versus now, and I don't even know anymore. I'm, I'm a totally different person, and that's good. But also, it's, it's hard to, like, what, what you were saying was, like, how those things in your teen years reflected who you are now as an adult. And I'm like, I can't clearly draw those, connect those dots and, and draw the line of figuring out how I got to here necessarily. I can draw a couple for you. Sure, hit me. <laughs> Be my therapist live on camera for everybody, I guess. No, so there are so many things about you that have existed since way before I ever met you. Sure, I'm, I am I imagine. I mean, I th- maybe we've talked about the show. I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I'll tell you once you tell me what the hell you're going to say. <laughs> But no, like the reason that you and I matched on Tinder was because you had a picture of yourself cosplaying as Macho Man and my Halloween. I know. And my like theme song or whatever the option was on Tinder was Bobby Roode's entrance music. Is he still with that company? I don't even know anymore. I have no idea either. I don't keep up with WWE. I don't know. (laughs) But like you liked wrestling. That's not something that you picked up like in your 20s. True. That's something that was established then. Your your taste in music's a big part of it. That's something that's been around for a while. Obviously, it's evolved. Oh, it's evolved and, so much. And you've added more things to it. But the things that you liked when you were younger, you still like. You've just expanded. You haven't been like stuck in there. But I think the biggest thing about you that is very much the same is you, you're a fucking Nintendo kid. 
I have a picture of you getting what Kirby like for Christmas one year and you're like nine and you are so fucking hype to get this Kirby game. Yeah. You have that same level of hypeness and that same like pure unbridled joy when you got like the new Pokemon Snap. Like true. I look at pictures of you from when you're younger. You make the same mannerisms. You have that same like same attitude like a lot of the same energy you've just refined it and perfected it because now it makes sense for you but like there are definitely like little butterball little boy harmony pictures where you're making the same sassy ass goddamn face that you make every time i watch you do your makeup at the mirror there is a fat kid inside of me (laughs) forever trying to be cool (laughs) is that what we're getting at not in those specific <laughs> words. No, I, I, I think I get what you're saying. I don't know. I think it's just weird because at the time, and this kind of reflects back on what we were talking about, about like buttering muffins, where I just wasn't aware of stuff at the time. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I've In the way that we weren't aware of like the racism of, of Mean Girls, it was present, but you know, you didn't pick up on it. Mm-hmm. I didn't pick up on like the various facets of who I was as a person. I was just drifting haplessly through the, through the world, like fucking Jamie Kennedy or something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and now I'm like aware of my everything. And I think that means that like who I was, was kind of just lost in the shuffle there for a while. Yeah. Cause it's like a, just a haze. I don't know. Well, I think it's also an instance of like not really knowing what to look for. I mean, I guess we can talk about like a lot of the problematic elements of mean girls. We didn't notice because we had never been taught how to look for those things. Mm-hmm. And for someone like you as like a trans person, like that's, that's not language that you were provided. Like you don't even know to look for that. Cause you didn't even know it was an option. So it makes complete sense that you were kind of like adrift because you and I have had plenty of conversations off mic where there are things about you that are like such telltale signs where it's like, how did no one see this coming kind Mm -hmm. of a thing. And, you know, they're rooted in things that are very deeply personal. And I think that's that's really what this show has kind of become for both of us is using these movies as a vehicle to come face to face with the situations that we experienced or did not experience or wanted to experience and how it relates to our own lives. Like I know you joked earlier, like let's make this therapy live on air, but I feel like in the last year, that's kind of what the show has become. I talk to my therapist about the show all the time. I'll be mm-hmm. like, so we mentioned in this week's episode and she'll be like, yeah, you've been unpacking that for 20 fucking years. Of course you talked about this. Yeah. Like we're, we're not really like, a movie podcast so much anymore like we we still are obviously like that's the vehicle to talk about everything else but we're like an experience and coming of age podcast more than anything yeah but that's what we're like oh it's we're about teen girls it's like we're just talking about coming of age regardless of what that means or what age that is especially because you know as our our guest list has shown we've I, i really do pride the show that we've had a pretty diverse group of characters i think we we did like the list of of everybody and Dave Lawson is from our Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead episode is the only guest that we've had that is not like marginalized in some way. Like he's a cis white straight dude. Uh-huh. Whereas like everyone else, like there's something about them. Either they're a person of color or they're queer or they're neurodivergent or they're disabled. Like we've had 
a lot of different people on our show and we try (laughs) in speaking from a lot of different experiences and i love that no matter how different we are and how different some of the gender identities have been on presented on the show there's something in these movies for everybody you just have to know where to look yeah um and honestly i would love it if we had more people on the show and Mm -hmm. had more guests and if anyone's ever curious why we have maybe like a guest a month and not more um because we always have some sort of technical difficulties and <laughs> editing those episodes is exhausting and I have to do it all myself. So I only have so much bandwidth a month, goddammit. <laughs> I would love to, but we're not there right now. I just wish we could all get along like we used to in middle school. I wish that I could bake a cake made out of rainbows and smiles and we'd all eat be happy. She doesn't even go here. Do you even go to this school? No, I just have a lot of feelings. Okay, go home. So here we are, a year into the show, and I'm really glad that we chose to do Mean Girls because I think Mean Girls as a movie ends the way that this episode should be. No matter what any of us have been through and what we've overcome and what ghosts from our our high school years continue to haunt us well into adulthood there's always the threat of getting hit by a bus (laughs) not gonna go there (laughs) no i was gonna say like we are all partial spring fling queens all of us every last one of us Mm -hmm. and it's something that we can all share together like we got through it we're here to, to to talk about it and to analyze what we've been through and see how it's moved us forward. And that's something we can all share. And I think that that's really beautiful. Yeah. I think so too. And if only that spring fling was actually prom, because then it would make this such a nice little bookend. I know. It'd be so poetic. It would be so poetic, but alas. It's really hilarious that when we named the show This Ends at Prom, it was like, oh, it's because so many of these end at prom. And it's like, no, they're like every other it's dance like homecoming. that's not prom. Winter, <laughs> Winter formal. formal. Yeah. Spring play- <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Oh, it's so funny how few of them actually end at prom. <laughs> and then the one movie that we did that's actually about a prom is hot garbage. God, the prom sucks. <laughs> There's other ones that are prom too, but like, God, it's so many of these dances, you just assume a dance is prom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, Harmony, the time has come. Mean Girls is asking you to the prom or the spring fling, whichever you prefer. I I don't care. They're all the same. (laughs) Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? So here's my thing right now is I am a person. End sentence. Congrats. (laughs) (laughs) I am a person who um, does not handle repetition well. Mm -hmm. Um, it is probably my biggest pet peeve and it burns me out on stuff. And there definitely are people who have sucked certain elements of the joy from this movie. That said, watching it with you and going deeper than I think most people like to with this movie Mm -hmm. and getting to notice like the physical acting or these weird background elements that are so much more subtle and enjoyable that maybe because they're fresh, maybe it's because that's just where my humor tends to lie is like just a little bit off the beaten path. Maybe that little thing you didn't notice is really funny to me. 
like um, the two girls that are fighting in the scene uh, when they pull away from Regina that are not actually fighting. They're just kind of going like, mm. <laughs> they're, they're, they're doing like some sort of light slap choreography, but they're not really touching each other. No, it's really funny. Oh, God. It's, <laughs> Look at it. It's on the left hand side of the screen when they pull away from Regina as she's watching just like the carnage in front of her. Two girls are not actually fighting and it's real good. Yeah. It's these these little things that I really, really like. Or when Tim Meadows has like, he doesn't even break when he's like, I will keep you here till four. And his face is stone. Yeah. Tim it, Meadows has some great acting in uh, this movie. It's, it's these, little, these little moments that are so subtle and you cannot recreate them. You cannot repackage them. They are in the movie and... That's it. Like they're they're preserved forever in this exact moment in time. So there was a period where I was kind of like anti Mean Girls because I was just tired of it because so many people had burnt me out. But you know what? I'm I'm back around. I found the parts of this movie I enjoy. I liked watching it with you. Mean Girls gets a yes. Beautiful. I was not totally sure on that when we set up to watch this. I'm going to be <laughs> totally honest with you. <laughs> I completely understand. I, I I do. And I'm glad that it's a yes because I, I agree with you. I think this is a movie that will continue on forever and ever because as we get older, we find new things in the movie to relate to because mm-hmm. we're all constantly growing. We're all constantly coming of age. Yeah. And what that looks like is different for everybody. And there are things to be found in, in this movie, I think, no matter what age. What What is it? Scientifically speaking, every seven years, every cell of your body has died and been replaced with another one? hmm Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Science. <laughs> well, friends, thank you so, so very much for listening to this episode and for your support over the last year. I kind of can't believe that we made it. This is just so cool and so exciting if you want to continue supporting the show or if you just want more content from us we do have a patreon patreon.com backslash this ends at prom once we reach 500 dollars a month we will interrupt the schedule to do grease because you all want to see me suffer and i understand and respect that that is your right i mean there are definitely some people who have made some big patreon yeah, donations because they just want it to happen <laughs> and they are so kind and all of you have been so nice to us. With my luck, it's going to happen like the day that this goes live and then I'm going to be really upset. And it's going to be that's funny. poetic. It's going to be great. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where are you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor. Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. I also want to do a big shout out to producer Brennan Klein over at Pod People. Thank you for hosting us. Thank you for keeping the lights on. You're a magical human being. And again, as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title for our theme song. Y'all are the best. Harmony, what cool fucking indie band should people listen to on this, our one year anniversary? The group that I want to shout out for this episode of all episodes, is a band called Mason's Party. What a fun name. Right? They just released an EP not too long ago. Um, it, they are a like emo ska band. So a, a combination of you and I? I thought it would be appropriate. And also, <laughs> um, 
They are a, a band that is Asian, and that seems also good to shout out, considering this movie's um, problems. Che- checkered past. <laughs> checkered Kutska. Um, no, the, it's a self-titled EP. It's very, very good. My favorite track is Don't Bring Me Down. I'd say go listen to them, check it out, and uh, also just, just continue to support independent music now that shows are opening back up and uh, get fucking vaccinated. So help me God if I don't get to see Jeff Rosenstock in December because y'all shut the world back down, I'm going to throw a bitch fit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to deal with that bitch fit. So like... Get vaccinated, spay and neuter your pets. Yes. Be responsible. (laughs) Don't do anything I wouldn't do, you crazy kids. (laughs) All right, friends. Thank you so much for everything. We love you so much. So much. You're just the absolute best. And as always, save that last dance for us. Goodbye. Onward to year two. from last year just wasn't important anymore. School used to be like a shark tank, but now I could just float. Regina! Finally, girl world was at peace. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.